0: Back to the Midnight Myth, everybody's favorite podcast where we analyze, discuss, and disseminate all ideas centering around major subjects like history, philosophy, mythology, and where they seep into our popular culture or popular storytelling. I don't know if you can tell Midnight Myth listeners, but I am very excited to be here today to bring to you another episode. This week's Midnight Myth episode, we are continuing what we started before Endgame came out, where we did a character case study in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, a.k.a. the MCU, discussing the character Iron Man. That's what we did two weeks, maybe three weeks ago at this point. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Time is hard. This week, we are going to be doing a character case study into... Captain America, Steve Rogers, the man out of time. And we're going to be focusing this only on the movies. So spoiler wall, if you haven't seen any of the Captain America movies, we'll probably also talk about Endgame as well.
1: Yeah, we will certainly talk about Endgame.
0: So if you haven't heard uh, or haven't watched Endgame yet, be warned, Endgame spoilers will definitely seep into this podcast. But I just want to kick this off and say one thing. Captain America is my favorite MCU character. I know he is. I am very excited and also very nervous. I really want to do this character justice, a character who I've come to love. I did not start in my comic book Marvel journey as a major Captain America fan. It was the MCU That got me into Captain America as a character, got me going back and reading Captain American comics, and I think at the end of Endgame, we have seen a complete journey of this character, and I just can't wait to talk about it. I have so much to say. I am bubbling over with excitement.
1: Yeah, I have a lot to say, too. It's funny, you're sort of in the shoes that I was in our last uh, Marvel case study, because Iron Man has meant so much to me over the years, and I felt uh, you know, a great deal of pressure to do justice to that character case study and to bring as much as we could to the table. But I think it's a testament for both of us to how much uh, work has been done on the part of every single artist, designer, and uh, craftsman uh, as a part of the MCU to make these characters mean so much to us. And it's exciting to be able to dig into the historical, mythological, and philosophical uh, roots to all of these characters because they have such a wealth of lore and material to them. But they do feel, even despite all of that, like cohesive and real and tangible characters that we can really sink our teeth into. Uh, so I am, just like you, very excited to talk Captain America and to continue this train of thought that we started a couple of weeks ago. Before we dive in, a couple of announcements here from The Midnight Myth. Yay, announcements! Obviously, if I the conversation never begins or ends here on the podcast. We want to engage with you. So if you want to get in contact with us, make sure you hit us up on social media. Best place to do that is Twitter. We're at The Midnight Myth. Or you can hit us up on Facebook or on Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast. You can also head over to our website, www.midnightmyth.com. There's a contact form there if you want to drop us a line. And there's plenty of extra content there. We're always dropping blogs and trying to get more interesting stuff onto the website to keep you entertained in between episodes. If you head to that website, there's also a button at the top of the navigation that says shop. That is our new merch store. There are t-shirts, there are mugs, there are sweatshirts, all kinds of Midnight Myth and Wheel of Caw merch. Uh, so, if you want to support the podcast and wear our logo for everyone to see proudly, that would be that would mean so so much to us. So, make sure you head over to our merch store.
0: And if you get any merch, uh, make sure to tweet at us a picture of you with your merch. We'll make sure to shout you out at the podcast. And I think by the time this episode is up, we're going to have a Patreon.
1: This is true. We are about to launch our Patreon. So by the time you're listening to this, you will be able to go onto our Patreon. We will drop the link in the show notes as well. Uh, If you have enjoyed what you have listened to over the last two years and a couple of months, uh, Derek and I have been making this podcast for you for free, but it's definitely not free for us to produce. Uh, So as much as we love to put this out into the world, we uh, would be just eternally grateful if you uh, felt the uh, the need or the desire to support us financially. So you can uh, support us monthly for as little as a dollar a month. And there are plenty of fun perks once you go over to that Patreon. You might get discounts on that merch store, or you might get additional content such as bonus episodes, boomerang rings, extra backstage notes and vlogs, all kinds of stuff that we can offer you here if you decide to support us financially.
0: Damn, so much shit to go through before we can get to the episode um whatever you guys do however you engage whether it's just you've listen and enjoy um or you want to go to our website or our twitter thank you midnight myth listeners i've said it before i'll say it again we have the best podcast listeners ever and that's you i'm talking to you right now listener well i think it's time to roll up our sleeves Let's start with Captain America. Let's do it. I'd like to hearken back to our Iron Man episode and remind us that I had a particular reflection early in my phase one MCU meditations. And that reflection was, and for those not, not listening or don't know, phase one MCU is the first phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, and Avengers, those movies are generally considered the phase one movies. And that reflection was, are there some antecedents? Are there some um, uh, seeds planted in in particular Greek mythology that can echo and inform us in how we understand these characters? And I think in Iron Man, there was a clear antecedent in Achilles. And I feel that Captain America also has a clear Greek antecedent, Greek hero antecedent, I should say, and that is in Perseus. Great. Now, the reason I bring up Perseus, and if you're not familiar, Perseus is mostly known for killing the Gorgon known as Medusa. Medusa. A woman who has snakes in her hair, and Perseus chops her head off, and when she looks at mortals, it turns them into stone. But Perseus is one of the most important of the ancient Greek heroes. I wouldn't put him on Achilles or Heracles, a.k.a. Hercules level, but he is right underneath them. And I think that's a perfect spot for Captain America. He's not the Iron Man. He's not the main hero. He's not the Hercules or Heracles, as the ancient Greeks would say. Like, he's not
1: the most powerful in terms of brute strength, necessarily. He's He's still very strong. He's
0: not the most popular, but but still super popular. He's not the one that everybody loves to talk about, yet everybody knows their name, because Perseus represents to ancient Greece what Captain America represents to America.
1: Okay, great.
0: In other words... Captain America as a character got its start as World War II propaganda, which I know can be a heavy loaded term that's usually con- connotes something negative, but I don't necessarily mean it negative. Captain America was punching Nazis during World War II as yeah. a comic and was helpful to the American war effort, was helpful to the American identity, but the character has endured ever since. Perseus is a central to ancient Greece He represents ancient Greek ideals at the highest level. He is near flawless. He is the darling. He is the person that's so good that he doesn't have a tragic flaw. There's nothing that Perseus needs to learn or get over. Every obstacle that he encounters, he overcomes, and he always does it in the greatest ancient Greek way. Captain America is very similar in that respect. And I think as we analyze the mcu captain america portrayed by chris evans that we see that captain america's character doesn't have a journey that he really needs to go through he starts the same man that he ends a fundamentally good person and perseus is fundamentally a good person in an ancient greek way there's another clever antecedent as well perseus how perseus overcomes medusa the gorgon what is his most prominent weapon well, he gets a few. He gets a powerful sword from Zeus that's able to cut and pierce the Gorgon skin. So that's important. Yeah. He gets magical flying sandals from Hermes so that he can travel to the Gorgon very quickly. So that gets him there while he's still in his youth and pride, So that's very important. But if he looks at Medusa, he's going to die. Athena gives him a shield, a shield so perfectly polished that he can see Medusa's reflection in it so he can fight the Medusa without looking at it directly. Yeah, The perfect polished shield is what gives Perseus the power to defeat his ultimate villain, the thing he is most famous for. Perseus then goes on to form the ancient Greek city Mycenae, which is central to the story of Achilles and the Trojan War, which was one of the most important ancient Greek city states. And he is also, I believe, if I have the lineage correct, this might be, I might be fudging it here a little bit, but he is a great grandfather to Heracles.
1: Okay. Wow. Okay, great. He
0: is Heracles. And I say Heracles because in Greek, it was Heracles in Roman. So the Greek version is Heracles. The Roman version is Hercules, which is the more popular version But Perseus is a uh, great grandfather. He's in Heracles is in Perseus's lineage. In other words,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Which is complicated because they both have Zeus as a father. But either way, you know, it's ancient Greece. It's fucking weird,
1: right? And like many uh, Greek heroes, like most Greek heroes, he is descended from Zeus, like you said. And I, if I remember correctly, his mother uh, Danae was uh, impregnated by Zeus as like a shower of light a shower was, of
0: gold. Yeah, yeah.
1: In, in a tower. So there's this uh, sort of demigod presence about him. He's connected deeply to these ancient Greek ideals and these ideals of manhood. Uh, the last time we talked about Perseus on the podcast, it was with regard to uh, witches and the sort of creation of the patriarchal society, moving away from early matriarchal societies. So there is something that is deep within Perseus about what is the ideal man, and yes, there is some stuff to unpack about that relationship to women as temptresses or women as, um, as inherently sinful, but there is absolutely a, a, a corollary that we can see between Perseus as the ideal man of ancient Greek values and uh, Captain America, Steve Rogers, as the ideal man of American values.
0: Sure, whether or not those ideals hold up under scrutiny is not what's important. What's important is they both serve the same purpose.
1: Exactly, and they both serve the same purpose uh, externally. So people look to them as a symbol for Greekness or look to them as a symbol for Americanness, and that symbol can inspire you to fight, right? That symbol inspires you to maybe join the American army or buy war bonds uh, in some way to support the effort to spread American ideals across the nation. Uh, Perseus also has a kind of doomed love in Andromeda, too. So there's a sort of uh, interesting parallel there to his relationship, uh, Steve Rogers' relationship with Peggy Carter, this sort of love that is almost doomed to not be, but if you've seen Endgame, spoilers here, it can be, even though it's doomed.
0: I'm glad you brought up Perseus's lineage because it's important that he is definitely the son of a god and a princess. However, there was a prophecy that he would kill his grandfather.
1: Right. That's why she was locked up in the tower.
0: Right. So the grandfather, I'm blanking on his name, locks up the, um, what's her name? Danae. Danae, sorry. It's it, reading it and saying it are hard for me. But anyway, I digress.
1: I remember most of this from Clash of the Titans. So
0: he Locks up Danae in a tower. Zeus visits her as a golden ray. And then Perseus is born. So the grandfather of Perseus ends up putting him on a boat and floats him down the river. There are certain echoes and antecedents between Perseus yeah, and Moses. absolutely. But that's a story for a different podcast. What's significant in terms of Steve Rogers, Captain America, is that he is raised by a fisherman. Perseus is a common man. He represents common man beliefs. He doesn't, even though he has this divine and amazing lineage, he is raised as the salt of the earth, very much like Steve Rogers is raised like the salt of the earth. Now, Steve Rogers in the first Captain America movie, Captain America First Avenger, what is his enemy? The Hydra. In Greek mythology, the Hydra is defeated by Heracles, a descendant of Perseus, but certainly a serpent and certainly a callback to Greek mythology. Also, Captain America, First Avenger, that's the only time we see a character engaging with a symbol of Greek mythology that they must overcome in Hydra. And that is the ultimate enemy of him. So there is a connection directly to Hydra, Hercules, Perseus, Captain America, Common man, salt of the earth, who uses a shield.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And there's so much symbology to what what the shield means. Uh, even though both of these characters in their various mythologies can fight really well and are great in combat, the thing that epitomizes them is a uh, is a defense. Is not offense. It's defense. It's saying that the most important thing is to preserve my body and myself, and I am not. Uh, symbolized by a weapon of violence. I'm we- I am symbolized by a uh, a symbol of uh, preservation.
0: I totally agree with that. Captain America using a shield is a symbol. It is saying that it is better to use force to defend than to attack. Right. At all times, do not attack, defend. Even though he uses the shield as a weapon, it's always for a cause or a reason. Captain America doesn't just sell weapons to whoever, whenever. Captain America isn't a green monster that'll just clobber what's in his way. Captain America is not a master assassin. Captain America is fighting only for a reason, which is to defend. He is fundamentally in it to protect others, which is why a shield is his weapon. Similar to Perseus, while his main weapon in his most important mythological battle, is a shield which is to use to protect rather than to attack. Yeah. I totally think that's significant. So throughout the course, this is a very long introduction, throughout the course of this podcast, I'm going to have a Perseus-style lens. A question that I think the MCU asks through the Perseus lens is what happens when Perseus is plucked out of the age of heroes and plucked out of a time when evil was a monster with snakes in their hair or a man with a red skull for a head and placed into a more ambiguous time. Because if the character Captain America is so good already that his struggle is to to maintain being a good man, as said in Captain America First Avenger you know, whatever happens when you get the super serum, make sure you stay a good man. And as he strives to become a good man and not let this power get to his head, the way that you have conflict for this character is to change the world. Yeah. It is the world that becomes ungood. And how does Captain America defend a world that may or may not be as good or as simple as it was in World War II? So I think there is the Perseus- in cynicism. Yeah. The age of heroes is over, but Perseus endures. What next? And I think that's the lens that I look at this character.
1: I think that's amazing. And that is a terrific segue because I wanted to talk about some of the literary uh, precedents for this character as well that I think jive really well with what we're saying about Perseus and this concept of being out of time or being asynchronous with your own time. Um, The... Greatest call out that I can bring up here in terms of men displaced in time is an American uh, short story by Washington Irving known as Rip Van Winkle. This is a story you're probably familiar with, but it's written around 1819 and it takes place in the years before the American Revolution. Uh, it centers around Rip Van Winkle, who is a Dutch settler in America and he and his dog are walking through the Catskills, and they encounter some other Dutchmen who are drinking and playing music in this sort of hollow of a mountain. Now he joins them for a little while, drinks some liquor, becomes sleepy, falls asleep, and then when he wakes up, his beard is a foot long and his dog is nowhere to be found and no, neither are the men. Now Rip returns to his village just after an election has occurred. And everyone asks who he voted for. Rip Van Winkle is like, I've never cast a vote in my life. I have a king. His name is King George. And everyone is like, oh my God, you're a loyalist to the king after all this time? And he realizes that the tavern that he used to hang out in, which was called King George's, is now replaced with an image of George Washington. Turns out he was asleep for 20 years underneath the mountain and he missed the American Revolution. He essentially fell asleep a British subject, and woke up an American citizen. Uh, It's almost like you fell asleep near the end of World War II and woke up in the middle of the war on terror. How can you imagine such a huge sea change in the world in just moments that felt like uh, you fell asleep for an afternoon's nap? He later encounters his grown children, his son and daughter, Uh, who have lived for 20 years without a father and finds out that his wife passed away while he was asleep. And so the world has completely moved on without him. Uh, And there's this sense of great and palpable uh, just loss and displacement and confusion that you can imagine with this character uh, that I think we see uh, sort of perfectly encapsulated in Steve Rogers waking up at the end of the first Avenger Having known a a world that looks the way that it does and then waking up and walking outside to Times Square, can you imagine anything like that? And I think that the question that this asks in terms of how it continues his story forward is very deeply rooted in this idea of uh, history and understanding your history and how every other... Avenger, every other character that he is uh, you know, close to other than Bucky Barnes, who's in a similar situation to him, has a sense of continuity, has a sense of context within the world around them. Technology has advanced at a rate that they can keep up with. Uh, the world has become more complicated. The country has become more complicated. Uh, relationships with other countries have become more complicated. Politics have changed, but they have changed along with it. And so there is um, just a really interesting character question being asked here with what happens when you take someone out of their history, deprive them of context, and put them somewhere else. There's one other story that I want to mention just that I think gets to the emotional heart of Steve Rogers as well.
0: Please do, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued.
1: Is a very similar narrative because both of these stories um, have roots in an ancient Greek story as well. This is going to be... Uh, sort of mythically precedented in a story called Epimenides of Nosos. Uh, but this story is a Japanese folktale. And it's called Erashimataro, or the character is named Erashimataro. So this character was a fisherman, which made me kind of excited that you mentioned that Perseus was raised by a fisherman or Steve Correct. Rogers was. Perseus so, was. Yes, yeah, so Erashimataro was a fisherman and there's one day he's on a beach and he finds a group of children who are sort of tormenting a turtle. So he buys the turtle off of them and releases it into the ocean a few days later he is fishing on the ocean and the turtle comes back to him and says hey i want to reward you come down to the dragon palace under the water and i know if a turtle came up to me and was like do you want to come to my dragon palace i would be like yeah let's do it
0: fuck yeah so
1: irashima goes with him down under the water to the palace And he meets the princess, Otohime, who thanks him for his service and for saving her turtle. And he spends a couple of days, an unspecified number of days with the princess, and really enjoys himself down in the underwater palace. But he can't help it, he grows homesick. He has family that he left behind. He has a mother and father, and he has a profession, and he has to provide for them. So sadly, he says, I have to bid you farewell. I have to go back to my family. Uh, She tries to persuade him to stay, But at the end of the day, he's going to go. So she gives him a jeweled box as a farewell gift and says, under no circumstances can you open this box. And he promises never to open the box. So the turtle takes him back to the surface. And when he returns, everything has changed. He inquires about his family. It turns out both his mother and father have perished. Everything looks different. Turns out centuries have passed in the couple of days that he spent with the princess underwater. And he's totally distraught after losing this entire portion of of his life, but feeling like he's only spent a couple of days away. And forgetting the princess's warning, he opens the jeweled box, and out of it flow all of the years that he has lost, and he becomes an old man. Now, there are a few different versions of this story. Some end right there, and some end with him becoming a crane or jumping into the sky, and others end with him... Crumbling into dust. It's a tragic tale of loss of time and what happens when you get plucked out of the place you're supposed to be and what might have been. But I think it has an interesting parallel to not only the Rip Van Winkle displacement of time, but the pain of that displacement that Steve Rogers feels. Now in Japan, Hiroshima, the name of this character is also a metaphor that people use similar to something like Rip Van Winkle for someone who feels lost in a world that has changed in their absence, so they'll say that person is like an Hiroshima, so it's deeply rooted in that consciousness,
0: yeah, and I think we so I think we've established two fundamental mythological backbones that we can see in in Captain America first. Yeah. The foundational, idealized version of a self, in particular in a patriarchal system, a masculine... And patriotic, yeah. Yeah, a masculine self in Captain America. What is the most idealized version of a man and a soldier? And then in Perseus, and then two in Rip Van Winkle, Winkle, and what was the other
1: one? Arashimatara.
0: Arashimatara. The idea of taking someone out of their own time, placing them in the future, and what are the actual um, effects of that, which are undoubtedly painful in both stories. They're hard. The person is in a world that they don't fit. And I think the lesson there that you can connect is that your history matters. That context of the time matters. And when you don't know the context, when you don't know why things are the way they are, it is often hard to process and painful to process. And I think Captain America illustrates the Perseus Van Winkle, if you will.
1: He absolutely does. He's where these two sort of mythic presidents come together in that he represents, his name is literally Captain America. He's got an A and he wears a star-spangled suit. He is someone who represents what American ideals were in the 40s. And then he wakes up and is expected to represent what America is in 2012. And that's insane because those aren't the same thing, but maybe they should be. And that's, I think, the tension of what Captain America is asked to do when he's taken out of the ice, is to reconcile those two things without the benefit of the context or the continuity
0: And let's go, let's get a little textual here. Yeah, please. I I would like to talk some specifics about Winter Soldier, if you will. Are you cool with that?
1: Yeah, yeah, let's do it.
0: The reason why I'd like to begin there is because I think Winter Soldier is the most Captain America movie of Captain America.
1: Wow, okay, great. In, In the
0: respect that Captain America First Avenger, which I actually, I've only watched of the Marvel movies, I've seen that one maybe twice, and I've seen every other Marvel movie like dozens of times. Um, but re-watching it for this podcast, I thought Captain America First Adventure has a lot more to it than meets the eye. Oh,
1: I, I love it. I love that movie. But it is
0: very much Captain America becomes a soldier. He is a good person. It, the serum amplifies that he's a good person. Because he's a good person, he can defeat HYDRA and then he gets frozen and gets wakes up in the future.
1: Yeah, it lays the groundwork of this very self-sacrificing character who, uh, who at this point isn't being asked to do anything particularly complex, but we need that anchor of that rules-based moral system that he has.
0: Exactly, and I'm glad that you brought that up. We've talked a lot about different yeah. ethical systems, and I want to take it as a given that what... Captain Rogers, Captain America exemplifies is deontological moral systems. Right. If you want to know more about that, there is a great blog on our website, www.midnightmyth.com, in pertaining to the Wheel of Ka. But I also discuss Captain America specifically. But how it works, shortest, simplest way, there are moral rules Captain America follows. Breaking them under any circumstances is wrong, so he doesn't break them. Right. Correct these moral truths he will stick to. And what are those? Honor, self-sacrifice, patriotism, service to others.
1: The value of human life, yeah.
0: Human life is fundamentally valuable. You can only take human life when you are defending human life, Um, things like that. So taking that as given, when we get into Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier, while one of the more, I'd say, ugly marvel movies like i don't think it's particularly a well shot or developed movie
1: yeah it's no secret that the color grading is not attractive to look at it was intentional but it's still not fun to watch
0: narratively there's a lot happening yeah it's amazing this is perseus plucked out of ancient greece and put into post-war and terror politics And in it, there are two political arguments being advocated that I'd like to discuss. Great. The first one is articulated by Nick Fury when Captain America sees these new three warships that have the ability for long-range guns to use computers to kill threats before they actually happen. And Nick Fury and Captain America are debating about it. Nick Fury says, quote, S.H.I.E.L.D. takes the world as they want it. No, pardon me, I'm brutalizing the quote. S.H.I.E.L.D. takes the world as it is, not as they want it to be, end quote. This is an advocate for a particular political philosophy called international realism. The second time this philosophy is evoked is in the World Security Council. Alexander Pierce, after Nick Fury is killed, talks to Captain America. He's trying to get information from Captain America and he tells a story. And then that story, he says, he starts by saying, the reason Nick Fury and I agree is that we are both, quote unquote, realists. And then he tells a story how Nick Fury um, acts without orders and goes and he saves a bunch of hostages before that they could be killed, even though his orders were to not do anything. This is echoing a political philosophy that is ancient. And it does go back to ancient Greece, as most things oh, do. Oh, wow. yeah. There is a war in ancient Greece chronicled by the historian Thucydides called the Peloponnesian War. It is a war between Athens and Spartan. And in this war, there is a period of time in which the Athenians go to the island of Milos, And Thucydides documents a debate between Milos, who were ethnically Spartans. They were a Spartan colony. However, they were neutral in the war. Athens surrounds Milos. And they say, listen, you're either going to fight for us or we're going to kill every last one of you. Man, women, and child, whoever's left is going to be sold into slavery. And it's called the Melian Dialogue. And in this dialogue, the people of Melos were like, hey, we're not your enemy. We're not in this war with you. Why would you come and surround us and put us in this scenario? We don't want to submit to you, but we also don't want to fight you. And the Athenians say... Well, we have the power to do it, you can't stop us from doing it, so your choice is to fight as a proxy in our war and join us, or be destroyed, because the strong do what the strong do, and the weak have to suffer. This has been echoed throughout the ages as the start point of a political philosophy called realism. Now, I am a novice when it comes to international relations and international game theory and international politics. So take it as a given that this is not my area of expertise, but I have read Thucydides and I've watched Captain America. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you, you get what the...
0: The basic gist of it is this. The international arena, where, whether they're ancient Greek city-states or modern-day nation-states, there's no law. There's no reason that one nation can or cannot do one thing to another nation. In fact, the only thing that matters is what you realistically can do with your power. If I can take your town from you and you can't stop me, that town's mine. The only reason I wouldn't take that town from you is because you have enough power to take two towns from me Right. if I take that one town from you. So realistically, I can't take that town from you. Realism is about force as the ultimate mechanism for for whether countries do or do not go to war. There is powerful and there are weak in the international arena. The best thing you can do is be one of the powerful. If you're one of the weak, you're going to suffer. That is the philosophy that is being advocated both by Nick Fury as, hey, the world is what it is. We need these weapons because... It's anarchy out there and we need more power. And if we don't have more power, we can never police it. It's about brute force. It is also echoed in Pierce's discussion where he's like, hey, Nick Fury and I were both, he uses the word realists. And I don't think he means it in any other way than as international relations realists. Then he tells a story how Nick Fury uses power, does something unilaterally, and acts without orders and it ends up being the right thing to do. And that's what catapults his career to the director of SHIELD.
1: Right. Yeah. And so as you say, you know, I, I don't think he's using it in a sense other than international realist, but I think there's a, a perfect way to, you know, encapsulate any use of that word, realism, in the sense that like if you're using it in a political sense, you're saying I am realistic about the fact that human nature is thus. And therefore, I am going to assume the worst about all people in all nations, and I am going to preemptively strike to uh, mitigate the consequences of that. So, I think there's, I think I, it's all there. Yeah. Yes,
0: a realist says that a nation will only yeah. ever act within in its, its self interest, yeah, and should only act within its self interest, and
1: therefore, we should only act in our self interest.
0: Absolutely, there is a counter philosophy articulated by Captain America when he says, hey, we did things, we compromised, it didn't make us sleep good at night, but we did it so people could be free. This is not freedom. Captain America is advocating for a different worldview. That worldview started um, primarily after the end of World War One. Up until then, international realism was the rule of the day of international politics. The end of World War One. America, namely Woodrow Wilson, very problematic American president, but he did have this idea called the League of Nations, and he argued for international liberalism. Now, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, um, you might think the word liberal is a dirty word, but it's not used in terms of America right and left politics. Correct. So you don't want to think of it as I'm a liberal versus you're a conservative. It is international liberalism is that Countries can get together in common shared interest and develop norms and laws by which that they can abide by and that they can follow. Now, the League of Nations was an ambitious project, but it failed. However, it led to World War II, which led to the United Nations. And the United Nations is the embodiment of international liberalism, a multilateral Um, group of nations agreeing to act in a common shared interest over their own self-interest.
1: Yeah, with negotiation and logic and reason as their de facto basis.
0: And what Captain America is advocating for in Winter Soldier is international liberalism. He is saying that it's not about power, it's about freedom. The only way that we can ensure freedom is that we have peace and that we cooperate, and that we communicate. Captain America is ultimately proven right as international realism is actually the same philosophy used by Adolf Hitler in our history and in the MCU's history by the Red Skull and Hydra. Yeah. And because realism is allowed to breed in S.H.I.E.L.D., so is Hydra allowed to be bred in S.H.I.E.L.D., and ultimately Captain America must dismantle it because when taken to its logical conclusion, if I can justify killing anyone and everyone that is an enemy of my self-interest, then it's okay. In In other words, Captain America in Winter Soldier, through his actions, is advocating for pluralistic, multilateral, cooperative politics that involves fighting and stemming down the idea of international realism that pure might makes right.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Which I
0: think is fucking fascinating.
1: I think so too. Um, And I think it's an interesting way to evolve his relationship to his sort of rules-based moral system, which is to say, okay, the the maxim that he lives by the closest is anything that uh, would infringe upon individual liberty and freedom is... A slippery slippery slope to something much worse, or is inherently immoral. So I must defend individual liberty to the end of the line, to quote him. Um, and I, I yeah, I think that's absolutely in line with uh, where we are in Winter Soldier.
0: And inter- an individual liberty on a international scale is about nation state liberties that nation states should act together to. To promote liberty amongst each other, which has been the governing philosophy, in particular in the, you know, Western yeah. post-industrial societies since the end of World War II. It's been about international cooperation, it's about unity. And yes, there are still armies and still wars, but they have been on smaller scales, and there's been more peace and prosperity. And Captain America, as the symbol, the person who fought for that the most he is also still advocating for it in now a more return to political international realism that you're seeing in the covert hydra as well as in some shield agents such as nick fury who's not a villain but nick fury even at the end of winter soldiers just like once we get all these hydras out captain america's like no we've been no, no, acting no, we're
1: compromised
0: unchecked We've been, it has to go. We cannot, no, we can no longer afford a might makes right mentality. Yeah. We have to amend it to be like, no, this shield was inherently corrupt, which is why Hydra could live in it.
1: Exactly. All of
0: it has to end.
1: Yeah. While we're on the subject of Winter Soldier, I just want to spend a couple of moments and a couple of words on how intertwined American history becomes with film history in the sort of bridge between the first Avenger and uh, the winter soldier, because uh, I know for me, winter soldier was the first MCU movie that I saw in the theater other than like Iron Man that really made me think like, Oh, this thing is, is not what I thought it was like these comic book movies are more than what I thought they were. Um, And That's because this story sort of encapsulated the 70s um, Cold War spy movie in a really interesting way. It was able to transcend the comic book genre and incorporate other genres uh, in a way that felt really true to the characters and really um, sort of uh, potent in the way that it dealt with its themes. And to go from uh, being a like 40s propaganda star who is punching Hitler on a stage to make people buy war bonds and your next movie be a 70s Cold War spy movie starring Robert Redford, the star of 70s Cold War spy movies, uh, is also indicative of that displacement through time. It's like having an actor who was a star of silent film suddenly be cast in a talkie and not know what to do with himself. And I think that was the best possible way for us to see the tension that is uh, created when you remove someone from their history and remove someone from the, the basis and the, um, the the platform by which their morals can be propagated because Steve Rogers, although he had conflict in the first Avenger was at home in a world where people thought a certain way about America, but now he's not at home and doesn't know what America is because We don't declare war in the same way. We don't fight war in the same way. We don't relate to other nations in the same way. And he's trying to figure out what it means to represent America in a completely different, ambiguous, and gray, literally concrete gray-looking world.
0: I totally agree with what you're saying, because when you pluck Perseus out of the ancient world of Greek heroes and place Perseus into the world of the Peloponnesian War, you realize that there are actually very few heroes in the Peloponnesian War. Yeah. It's bloody, it's cold, it's ruthless, and at the end of the day, Greeks slaughtering Greeks never benefited any Greek. And so, what would Perseus do then when in there is a a point in the Peloponnesian War documented by Thucydides? where there is a Greek demagogue, which is we get the word demagogue from ancient Greece and from ancient Athenian politics in particular, named Alcibiades, who ends up corrupting the democratic institutions because he's so good at giving speeches speeches, that he directs the Athenians to things that ultimately lead to them losing the war. And what would Perseus do standing next to Alcibiades? And we get that in... Winter Soldier.
1: Yeah, and I just think it's interesting the relationship that our uh, our conception of history has to cinema. So let's
0: pivot a little to Civil War. Yeah. Now, Civil War is probably the Marvel movie I've seen the most. And the reason I've watched it the most is I keep trying to figure it out. And I've come to a conclusion that is not very popular. And that conclusion is that the movie is pretty... Uh, thematically nonsensical.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not a, it's not a very good movie. I
0: I mean, there's a lot of fun to it. I love giant man. I love that spider man's in it. Yeah. Um, I love the ending, the third act between Bucky, Tony Stark and captain America and Baron Zemo, where the story becomes very personal. I I thought is beautiful and shot really well. So there are plenty, I don't think it's a bad movie, I just think it's thematically nonsensical. And what, what I mean by that is that Captain America seems to be arguing for international realism and wanting unilateral force, not subject to any oversight or cooperation, and just purely self-interest. And I think as a as a Iron Man movie, there's a lot of growth for the character Tony Stark to want to sign the Sokovia Accords, and that growth is really significant because has spent a bunch of movies with him kind of being like f you to the man i am iron man i'm gonna do whatever i want and then he realizes damn there's a lot of consequences to this we do need to be put in check i can't just go around being badass where captain america i don't really understand based off of the groundwork from the first avenger to um winter soldier why he refuses to sign the Sokovia Accords, and in particular, why he's willing to fight other heroes over it?
1: It's really hard to connect the dots because on one hand, while we've been talking about how he's rules-based and likes to protect individual liberties, he's also the same character that one movie later says, we don't trade lives. And so it's very difficult for us to understand why this character who values life, values human life, may be more... Than any other Avenger would have so much difficulty apologizing for the mistakes that he's made. He's very quick to say, we made those mistakes, let's move on. I'm not signing these accords and I'm not putting myself under any supervision. Um and I think there is an argument to be made against that, but I don't think the movie articulates it.
0: In particular, when the character like it's not ground like so Tony Stark's growth in Civil War is grounded in the the actual fallout. Yeah. He's confronting with the fact that being an Avenger has cost him pepper pots, his love of his life. Being an Avenger has meant that he's had to confront death, the thing he's been trying to help prevent. Yeah. yeah. And that there are people that have died as a result of it. Whereas it would seem that Captain Rogers would be more on his side. Like, the, the character never Captain America never articulates a clear argument to me why the Sokovia Accords are bad and why he won't sign them. And it seems like he's advocating for, you know, unilateral might makes right decisions. I can do it. So I could, the only person I can trust is me, the safe. Right. He literally says the only like the only hands that we can trust are our own, the safest hands are our own. And I'm like, are they when you just, when like, you know, you just killed a bunch of civilians in the very first scene are the safest, like they don't really seem like the safest hands.
1: Yeah. And there's the speech at Peggy Carter's funeral uh, that says, uh, even if the whole world is telling you to move, it's your duty to plant yourself like a tree and say, no, you move. And for me, that's like, Hey, if the whole world is telling you to move Maybe it's time to ask yourself if you're the crazy one. And I think there are situations, especially with Steve Rogers, where he is the only clear moral head, uh, where other people are so much uh, more quick to be swept up into vengeance or swept up into anger or swept up into their own political agenda. This character is better at keeping a cool head. Um, But I gotta say, if the whole world is telling you to move, it might be time to ask why you're standing still. And I think that's just this movie not doing you know, quite justice or um, uh, continuity to this character.
0: If the whole world are being run by Nazis and they're all telling you oh, to yeah. mass genocide people, then yes, plant your roots like a tree and stand. Uh, but when the whole world of other liberal democracies are saying we need some oversight because too many civilians a lot have of died, innocent
1: people have died at your hands.
0: Then it seems a little more realistic. Maybe
1: entertain the possibility of trying to find a solution.
0: Yeah, instead of being like, you know what, I'm willing to fight and potentially kill my friends over this. It it seemed like a a like I said, it seems a little more thematically inconsistent with Correct. his character. Yeah. I think that there are plenty of moments of that movie that are great. I don't think that char- that in particular, Captain America is my favorite character right. in the MCU. That movie serves his character the least yeah. in my view. Um, if you disagree, listeners, please tell me why. Yeah,
1: let us know, please.
0: Because I know most people think Civil War is a highlight of the MCU. It's one of the low points. And it's why I keep watching it because I'm like, Everybody loves this movie.
1: Hey, why if don't I get it? The whole world is telling you to like this movie. It's your duty to plant yourself like a tree and say, "No, winter soldier."
0: <laughs> All right, well, we are fastly moving through this. Um what else do you have here?
1: So, I'm interested in since we have kind of been moving through Steve's entire journey through his uh, you know, solo films. Uh, He obviously plays a role in Infinity War, but it's not his movie. And Endgame, I think, is his movie to the extent that it is Iron Man and Thor's movie as well. I think all three of those characters are served very well by their arcs in that film. And I think what's the most important for me to call out as um, as we look at his arc as a whole is that with regard to our Iron Man podcast and what we saw as Iron Man's complete arc, uh, that's a character who goes from total self-interest to total selflessness, willing to lay down his life to save the universe, right? Um, and with Captain America, we start with a character who's willing to lay down his life for his country. Where do you go from that? And you mentioned something at the start of this podcast saying that he doesn't have you know, that that big of a character arc. He doesn't have to change that much because he starts out so good. The world has to change around him. And the only reason I want to push up on that is because of how we see his arc conclude in Endgame. We have a character who goes from, I will lay down my life at a moment's notice. Like, let me at him. I, I can do this all day. I can sacrifice my body. I can sacrifice my mind, my soul, because all I want to do is serve. And what we get is a character who has realized over this amount of time that he's actually served his time and it's okay to take care of yourself. We have a character who has laid down his life multiple times, who has committed multiple acts of self-sacrifice and who has risked his life multiple times and says at the end of this, maybe I'll get one of those lives that Tony was telling me to get. Actually, I deserve to have the things that I want. Not just because I have done so much for the world, but because I'm a human being and all human beings deserve to have the things that they want and to be with the people that they love and to be reunited with their families. Arash Mataro and Rip Van Winkle deserve to have that time back that they lost. And so does Captain America. And that's why he finally gets his dance with Peggy Carter.
0: I love that. And I think... You know, we all get to deserve what we want can sometimes be a loaded term. I don't think you mean it in that we all get to fulfill selfish desires. No, absolutely. But rather, once you have stopped a mad god from wrecking the universe, it's
1: okay. And proven you're worthy to wield Mjolnir. (laughs) Yes, you
0: literally can command the power of Thor because you're such a good person. It's okay that you took some time out to dance with the woman you love and, you know have a family and just live a normal human life.
1: Self-care, baby.
0: And yet, so there is tremendous value in looking at captain America as the shining example for service and sacrifice. And in fact, no great thing ever built, whether that is a machine, uh, to a nation, to a war, happened without people making huge sacrifices to put that good ahead of their own self-interest. Captain America tells us it's never okay to just be selfish. You can never put your self-interest ahead of the interest of the greater good. That is always better to lay down on the wire. However, you do get the right to go home. Yeah, And once you go home, you get the right to dance with you, the, the love of your life. You get the ability to have a quote-unquote normal life. The tragedy is there's so many people who have made huge sacrifices for the greater good don't get there. Tony is one of them in the MCU. He doesn't get to have that life. He gets just a few short years of it. But at the end of the day, if you are able to lay down on the wire and pick yourself up and piece yourself back together, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you get a little bit of the good life.
1: I love it. And it's in the MCU, it's Tony. uh, And in our world, it's our warriors, it's our soldiers. And regardless of what you may feel about war and about the wars that our country has fought, I know that I don't support most of the wars that our country has fought in my lifetime. But I do uh, wish that we took better care of our soldiers and that we gave them that chance to really go home and that we acknowledge the pain that they've been through and uh, gave them an opportunity to heal.
0: I love that. Well, Captain America, you're the man. And until next time, be kind. Be kind.